Hello, Mississippi and abroad. This is Parrish Alford with the Northeast Mississippi Daily Journal. This is another edition of Justify Your Existence. We're going to talk some college football today with Matt Wyatt, former Mississippi State quarterback. Now he's one of us, man. He's He's been in the media, Matt, for how many years now? Oh, boy. I guess I'd have to add it up, Parrish. Uh, well, let's see. I, the first radio show I did was 2008. Okay, so there'd be that amount of time, so 12, 13 years on radio. But before that, you know, my first job out of college was at the local TV station. But, um, you know, so I'm put, I'm 20 years into it in some shape, form, or fashion. So uh, you've seen a lot of egg bowls. Let's talk about uh, uh, the one just completed, uh, 31 to 21, uh, Ole Miss winning. Matt, did, did you think, as I looked at that game, I thought uh, with these passing offenses, I know Ole Miss runs the ball a lot more than than State, but still very uh, prolific uh, passing team as well. I thought the wide receivers kind of underachieved on both sides. So what, what did you see there? You know, it's yeah, um, and and maybe for that reason, a little lower scoring than you might have thought going in, right? You know, thirty-one twenty-one, kind of like it was last year. I was, you know about the same type of result the year before. Um, I, I would say so. Uh, I, I have to go with my own experience and with what Coach Leach said after the game and agree that while the conditions weren't perfect, I don't know that that really had an, an effect. Um, you know, in, in, in all the games I played in, the only time the rain ever really had an effect is when it was an absolute downpour where – you couldn't even keep your hands dry. Otherwise, it's not really that big a deal. So I don't think that had an effect. That that's it, Parrish. Um, you know, for state, you had drops, uh, particularly by Tulu there in the end zone before the half. In terms of wideouts, the other two drops right there before the half were running back, um, two different times marks. Um, but overall, you know, you didn't see the big catch, the big throw down the field. In some of the one-on-one stuff, it's like the DBs were winning those matchups when you when you come back and think about it. Not all of them, but several of them. You know, like there was one particular time where Ole Miss tried to draw up when they got one-on-one, draw tried to draw up a uh, a double move against Martin Emerson, and Emerson just covered it, saw it, read it, covered it down the field. So I would say, yeah, uh, to a degree, maybe that those guys didn't quite flash. Uh, like you thought they might, given the nature of State's offense and given the fact that, you know, Ole Miss's offense kind of produces those big chunk pass plays because of their run game off of it, you know. So, and and other teams have hit State with that. State's defense has been so run-focused all year, man-to-man behind it, they'll give up that occasional big throw. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a fair observation. Yeah, I thought in Griffin, you mentioned Griffin, he had, uh, you know, two big catches on that drive to get down there and, and get them in position. And I, I know that game, that game looks different. And I've, I've heard some state fans say, man, if we if we just come through there, it's a it's a different game. And, and then you missed field goals and all that. But, you know, th- it's a different game. Yes. But in a different game, it plays different, too. And, uh, yeah. you know, and it's called differently and, and maybe a. Uh, Ole Miss is a little more aggressive defensively, you know, at the end. And they had some opportunities, you know, to get to the quarterback when they tried to. Um, 
but as as yeah. far as Ole Miss receivers, uh, uh, Matt, I thought they just couldn't get open. You know, and and of course we know State uh, has played well at the cornerbacks, and sometimes some problems with the safeties. But I thought throughout the night those guys just struggled to get open. Parrish, I think you're right. I think I think State's corners, particularly Martin Emerson, had a good ball game. You know, and look, State's two corners, Emerson's going to be playing NFL football next year. You know, this time next year he's going to be on an NFL field. And in two years, Forbes will be right out there with him. You know, that's that's the le- the caliber of corners you have. And so, yeah, they covered him a bunch. And I will tell you also, I, I didn't think – I mean, Corral is Corral, but I didn't think he was quite as pinpoint accurate throughout the game as he has been before. Uh, he, he, You know, he might even tell you that. Yeah, I missed a few um, from time to time. So I think that's – I think that's certainly fair. And, you know – what you're touching on, Paris, is kind of was my big takeaway. Um, yes, okay, if you catch that ball before half and you take the lead into halftime, you're getting it to start the second half. It really does change the opportunity, the way you're going to call it, because you have a lead. You could have momentum going in and coming out. All those things will change play calls. So when you step back from that one moment and look at the game as a whole, I think, being honest, you have to say that Ole Miss was the more physical team across four quarters. And a lot of times people hear somebody go physical and they roll their eyes. They're like, coach speak. What does that even mean? Define it, you know. But we're just talking blocking and tackling and hitting. Uh, Speed off the edge to the quarterback. Blocking up front when you do run the ball. Um, Tackling out on the edge. Receivers blocking in front of that perimeter screen over and over again. Do DBs win that physically and fight through, or do the receivers win that and you make yards every time you throw that easy screen? You know, I thought, well, I think 99% of the time in the battle for the golden egg, whichever team is more physical for four quarters, we're, 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 we're landing the most punches, you know, body blows. Physically, we're going to win that game. And I felt like Ole Miss did it. I think part of that's probably having an older team, but they are well coached. They blocked it out on the perimeter really well in front of their screens. Their run game blocked better. They won some key times defensively on the line of scrimmage. Sam Williams had, what, three sacks or whatever. And they converted an extremely high number of third downs for an offense at Ole Miss, it hadn't been a great third down offense this year. That tells me that they physically won the matchup. Yeah, that eleven for eighteen on third downs, man, that was a that was a killer for State. And and you're mm-hmm. right. I mean, I you know, I was not thinking about the blocking on the edge on those screens, but that that was such a big part when your receivers could not get open. They were able to count on those screens. They were able to count on those short out routes and and those types of things and and playing that wide game uh, when they couldn't really get open uh, on other routes. Um, I was thinking, you mentioned physicality. I'm thinking of the run game. I mean, I think Ole Miss finished at 159. Yeah, that's that's well below their average. Uh, But what they didn't get were those explosive runs. Right. They did a good job. I mean, there was a a three-yard and a four-yard. I mean, they didn't rip off seven and eight yard runs on drives. They didn't do that. You know, they didn't often, did not often get into the second level of the defense on a running play, but they did enough to uh, give themselves manageable third downs. 
And uh, I wanted to ask you about the Sam Williams matchup against the offensive line. Man, there was, you know, I, I suspect, Matt, that you and I uh, watch games differently and look at different things. You know, I'm, I'm so honed in on, on where the ball goes. Okay. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm watching the ball and I usually write something, uh, you know, after the play, but man, I, I took, uh, took some plays off to just watch Sam Williams and I uh, wanted to see him uh, go against Charles Cross and saw that a few times. Now they moved him around a little bit and you know, it's no secret that state has struggled a little more on that right side of the offensive line and, you know, people move their guys around. And Sam Williams had some success coming from that direction, you know, a couple of times. But uh, those matchups with Charles Cross, man, I thought they were a draw, or at least the ones yeah. I watched. It was, it was just, I mean, you could just see the, you know, the 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 quickness from Cross and the physicality from both of them, and and uh, just you know, you know, arms flailing and 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 feet moving and, and guys getting in position. I mean, that was. Uh, that was entertaining. Uh, from are you not entertained? I was entertained watching <laughs> watching uh, that matchup. I mean, it really was. Um, and you know, Paris, there's so much in there. Charles Cross, okay, he's going to be a first round pick, and for good reason. And you're right. He in the matchups he this year has had against the premium pass rush guys, they just have gotten nowhere really against him. He has not given up a rash of sacks, and every now and then he might hold a guy, but if you're a quarterback, offensive coach, you're like, okay, so what? You know, if you get if he gets a holding call once every two games or something, but uh, he was really good against Williams, and Williams is a heck of a player and showed it, you know, but to me, that was an example of why the offensive tackle position is kind of more of a premium in that draft and in that NFL stuff than the speed rusher off the edge. And it's because it's easier to find the speed rusher off the edge who can get to the quarterback two times a game than it is to find the guy on the offensive edge who won't let anybody in there across 75 snaps. You see what I mean? Like one's yeah. a little one's a little more rare than the other. And so look at you could also look at it this way. Um, when he was on the other side, um, matched up with Scott Lashley. Lashley gives up. Let's you know, I haven't gone back and watched every one of those, but let's just say that those are three sacks where Williams is matched up against Scott Lashley and he gets around the edge. Well, how many snaps did you play during the course of the ball game? Okay, and we're going to slice off the ones where he wasn't matched up with him. Well, a majority of your snaps, he's lined up across from him. So at offensive tackle, you got run plays, you got others where you're not in a straight pass drop or he's not in you know that outside pass rush and he doesn't get there. So I win those as a tackle. And then there are probably 10, 15, maybe as many as 20 other times where I'm in straight pass pro, he's outside rush, and I block him. I keep him out. But all it takes is three times for him to completely change the game when I lose. Does that make sense? So for me, playing offensive tackle in an air raid offense is about like playing corner in a pressuring defense in that if, if you're at corner, you can win 50 snaps. But if you miss and lose three of them, it could make the difference in 21 points on that scoreboard. At tackle, when you're against that 
you know, that pass rusher and they've circled you as the weak link in the pass pro, <laughs> you can do a, a great job for most of the game. But all it takes is two or three plays on third down or in key situations. And there he goes. I lose those and one of those, you know, a strip sack or something like that. So it really shows me when Mike Leach says things, I'm telling y'all, Paris, we got to listen. And when Mike Leach tells you the most important position on this team is our offensive line, he's telling you he means it. It's not just words. And I think that's a big reason why. Matt, I thought uh, the end of the season made Mike Leach look really smart because we heard so much at the beginning of the season. And, and I think we heard it to the point that a lot of fans were tired of hearing about youth and about inexperience. But uh, uh, Mike kept saying uh, repetitions, uh, time in the offense, uh, game reps, and all of those things were going to add up. And then this team started playing a lot better and, uh, and won some big games. Uh, how do you assess Mike Leach in year two? They seem to be on track to me. Uh, I, I would say, too, that I'm like a lot of people – I remember the big games when he was at Texas Tech and a few big ones at Washington State, but I was not following them week to week in their progression. I'm like everybody else going back and reading it, looking at stats from one year to the next. So that's my comparison point. But they really seem to be on track to me uh, from a um, – yeah, from a, from a uh, development of your youth standpoint, as you've watched those young players get better and make more plays and be more consistent, you kind of see it, and the numbers back that up also. Um, from a um, kind of from a continu well continuity, maybe a chemistry is the right word. From a chemistry standpoint, really across the whole team, you know, you're just starting to. By the end of the year, you got the vibe that there wasn't there was no players in the state uniforms that were not bought into that program and what they were trying to do and how they were trying to do it. And you have to have that also. He's gotten that at other places and you're getting it here. So I think they're right on track, uh, Parrish. And, um, you know, you're talking about youth too. People did get tired of hearing it, but he was just telling you the truth. That's one thing I've learned about him, man. When I'll go back and like do a little film breakdown in the past, I would always go back watch the game over again, pick out the plays I wanted, and then go back before I start drawing them up and just listen to the post-game coaches stuff and, and see what they said and I missed something. And I'd do it the other way now. The first thing I do is I go back just to hear what Mike said after the game and then start watching the film. Yeah. Because whatever he's, whether it sounds like coach speak or not, whatever he tells you after the game, it's exactly what happened. And as he's evaluated his team, it's really – he's just giving you every clue. And uh, you know, he's talking about youth. They had senior night the other night, right, before the game, where the seniors come through and they hand off the flowers to their family and they all have a photo op. Well, heck, they got together for the senior group picture down there, and it was like eight of them or eight or nine or something, and about one or two of those play. And I know you're losing Charles Cross and Emerson, underclassmen to the draft, so they're not the only ones leaving the program. But it just really – to see them standing there together is when – the first time it really struck me that, you know, this team just – they don't depend on older guys. They're not – this team is not depending on any seniors. 
And so it probably speaks well to their future. All right. Here's a question, though, Matt. And this is why I thought State should have been farther ahead earlier in the season. Okay. Because I saw a quarterback who started six games last year. And I know mm. six games is not 12. But what is youth and, and what is inexperience in college football in 2021? I mean, we know these high school kids are being developed at a higher level than, uh, than, than when you were throwing those bombs for uh, Prattville High back in the day. <laughs> we know that there are more camps and, and more right, seven, yeah. sevens and things like that. So, and, and we see elite programs with impact freshmen. You know, we see uh, quarterbacks being, you know, pulled and freshmen coming in at elite programs. No, it obviously doesn't happen everywhere. But what is youth and inexperience? What should fans expect in 2021? When, when should these guys contribute? It's a really fair point because, yeah, you know, there was no such thing as seven-on-seven seven summer leagues when I was in high school a million years ago, Paris. I mean, I was playing baseball and, you know, toting lumber around a construction site every summer <laughs> waiting for football practice to start. Um, and now they – you, you get on a in a van with your buddies and you go throw 85 passes in a 707 game you know so the experience is different um I but I, I keep going but I have to every time this comes up I, it's you know it takes a while to walk through it but the context for state is important I believe I think it's the only way you can be accurate with it and that is, you didn't go, first of all, from an offensive system similar to the one you're running and recruited to, and the only difference was the guy calling the plays. A lot of schools did that. <clears throat> uh, I'll give you an example. Is you look at Chad Morris in Arkansas. Chad Morris in Arkansas, what are they recruiting to? A spread, a spread option offense, what they recruited to. Now, they didn't run it worth a flip. They didn't have any buy-in, but that's what they recruited to, and they fired him. And then you get a head coach that comes in with um, Bryles, and what's he going to run? A spread option offense. It's been recruited to by the previous staff. So, And you got the portal and all that. It was a pretty significant change for State, okay, to go from what they were two years earlier under Mullen to basically having no ability to throw the ball for two years under Moorhead to we're going to throw the ball exclusively now. So the context was pretty drastic, first of all. Then transfers hit you, and COVID hit you, and you didn't get a first spring to go through any of the motions in that first spring in the summer. And you're playing an older guy, and then he can't do it and gets a concussion against Alabama, and here comes Will Rogers, who he missed the first two weeks of the season last year. So all these things contextually tell me that Last year, 2020, he thank goodness, if you're a State fan, he did get to play some. Thank goodness Will Rogers did play in six games the year before because otherwise you're, otherwise this would have been totally year one, not year two, given the whole context of everything. That's what I think. And the other thing perished for me, there are certain positions where it is easier for a first-year player to come in and have an impact right away. The number one is any kicking position. You don't have to have experience. If you're a good kicker, go kick as a freshman. It doesn't matter. Number two is certain positions on the line of scrimmage where it's 
purely physical and situational. I can have a guy who's not ready to be a three-down player. He's just ready to be a third-down pass rusher. And I'll put him in there and say, go. All right? Okay, maybe he's that good. But the skill positions, most difficult thing for an early guy is a quarter is quarterback. The next most difficult is any receiver position if you're in an offense where you have to read coverage also. So I'll finish the thought with this. You mentioned Prattville High School. We call my receivers in high school, we call a curl. And it doesn't matter what the defense does. You just run a curl. (laughs) Once I tell you you're running a 14-yard curl, that's all you got to (laughs) know is run. I'll decide if you should get the ball or not, you know. And that's not the case anymore. And yes, there's a even in an RPO offense like uh, like Oklahoma or an RPO offense like Baylor, yeah, there's certain things that receivers have to read. But when you're talking about the air raid, the with what those receivers are doing, and the way they have to read coverage, uh, the way they have to read zone versus man, different types of zone, different types of man, and that determines where they're going to run, what they're going to run, and what spot they're going to run to. And whether they're going to stop or where they're going to keep running, and they have to learn to write, read all that stuff on the fly. It's like playing quarterback without throwing a ball. It's like playing quarterback, you got to catch the ball. And so when you don't have anybody at that position, when you're, it's doubly tough when you're developing the quarterback and the receivers in that offense at the same time. Matt, who is uh, the best quarterback in Mississippi this year? I think that was uh, an interesting discussion as uh, Will Rogers improved. And, and, and true to form, when we put this very scientific survey uh, in our Facebook groups, uh, the Ole Miss group and the Mississippi State group, you know, we, we just we had like almost zero. I mean, there, there, there might have been one, one or two crossover votes, man. Okay. There, there just wasn't, wasn't much. Uh, but uh, I, I like these quarterbacks, and and I think Will Rogers is a, you know, it, it's a valid question right now. Yeah, you know, I wrote a column last week about how the Egg Bowl could either uh, be a boom to one Heisman campaign or launch another. I think mm-hmm. Will Rogers' accuracy next year, because the Heisman has become a quarterback and stats-driven award. And, and Will Rogers in this offense, as effective as he's been much of the season, he's going to have the numbers. If they win some games next year, win some big games, certainly, you know, he's yeah. a candidate and could be in that conversation. But when you compare Will Rogers, Matt Corral, uh, what, what did you see this year? Yeah, um, they're, they're two different types of players, no question about it. And the wealth of experience for Corral versus the lack of it for Will is a big thing. That's a big deal, you know. But Corral was more explosive in two ways. Okay, you know, he's explosive throwing the ball. But Corral's in a, a very much above average runner as a quarterback. Okay, and you have to consider that. It's a big reason he was in the Heisman discussion is because of the way he ran the ball against Tulane, right? Mm-hmm. And and not to mention, coming into the year, the hype machine kind of would get behind certain guys already before they played a snap. That's the way that thing works. So, you know, they're, they're very different. I, it, it's almost like comparing, you know, it's almost like comparing, this is an extreme example. 
It's almost like sitting down and we're going to try to compare Randy Johnson versus Greg Maddox. Okay, now I'm not saying that either Corral or 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 Will Rogers is, you know, like top of their, you know, Hall of Fame. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, look at the difference between Randy Johnson and Greg Maddox um, in terms of how they went about their jobs and what what they did. You know, Earl Campbell versus Barry Sanders. Same position, totally different players, both phenomenal. Okay, extreme examples. But what I'm saying is I thought Corral, when you lead – to me, it's a team game. And when you lead your team to 10 wins, and I don't care how you get them and what you do, and you play the quarterback position and you don't turn it over and you lead your team to 10 wins, then you're the guy. Okay, you're the guy. And for Will, Will has an advantage over Corral in terms of, I think, natural accuracy. Um, Will's just got something about him, man. I, people are chalking up this 75% completion, these 80 and 90% completion games to the system. I'm telling you, ask anybody who's ever played it in any system, no. You're either accurate with the ball or you're not. The guy's just born with some accuracy that other guys don't have. Um, if Matt Corral had that just kind of natural accuracy that I think Will was born with, then Corral's numbers would be even you know through the roof throughout his career. So they're different. Uh, but this year goes to Corral because he willed his team to 10 wins. It's a team game. Um, I care a, a lot less about the individual stuff than I do the win total. And I respect the 10 wins. I respect Matt Corral for lead, from a leadership standpoint. I really respect him for his toughness, uh, particularly physically. He finished runs. He's not the biggest guy, but he, he ran a lot bigger than he was. I saw him the other night. Corral has, um, I think, an ability he probably was born with he is excellent at knowing where to escape, how to escape, and when to escape. His anticipation on when to take off and where to take off is second to none. It's kind of Manziel-esque in terms of it just – he's got the right clock in his head uh, when to run. So, so he gets it this year, I think. And Will, as a sophomore, is right there knocking on the door. And what's going to happen to Will – I've seen it too many times is we'll look at him during the preseason going into next year and physically he'll be a little thicker. He'll have muscles. He hadn't quite even started to develop. It doesn't look like physically quite yet. Um, his leadership characteristics are through the roof. Team loves him. And uh, before he gets done, he's going to light everybody up. He gave you some glimpses of it this year. And that's all it was, was a glimpse. And you go, oh, hold on, Matt, 4,000-something yards, and you're telling me, I'm telling you, you just got a glimpse of what he's going to do before he gets finished. All right, uh, outside of Mississippi a little bit, were you surprised to see uh, Lincoln Riley uh, going to USC? Not necessarily surprised that uh, he would leave Oklahoma, but there was, uh, you know, that, that buzz machine was cranking up for Lincoln Riley to LSU, and all of a sudden he's on the move, man, but it's, it's to the Pac-12. You know, I think it's a smart move for him. That's what I think. I think it's a smart move for him. 
because you, you're you're at, you're at a distance now from their glory days, where any progress is going to be wonderful progress for them, and he knows that. And I think I don't think you want to be coaching Oklahoma when they make this move into the Southeastern Conference. Um, especially not if you're on the back end of your run there and historically coaches, you can draw a line at about 10 years. And once you're at a place 10 years, whether you've won or not, about half the fan base is tired of you and about half the fan base support you. Right. And you start looking at where he is. And if he stayed at Oklahoma and brought that team into the sec, he knows what's up. He knows what's up. It is going to be a, it's going to be a brutal thing to go through early on. And yeah, you go, well, where would you rather coach in the SEC, Oklahoma or LSU? Well, it's definitely LSU, I would think. But, you know, they're fixing to expand the playoff. And you can go be at USC in the Pac 12, you know, and get your act together. And within two or three years, you got an automatic shoe in to be in the playoff because they're going to expand it to 12 teams. And I don't have to play an SEC schedule every year. And I'll, I want to recruit the West Coast anyway, and and instead of trying to recruit them all the way to Baton Rouge, I'll just recruit a quarterback 60 miles from where I'm sitting. I think it's a smart move on his part. Not surprised at all. And I don't know what Oklahoma's going to do, and I certainly don't know <laughs> what LSU's going to do. What do you think LSU's going to do? I don't know. I think it's interesting, Matt, that uh, LSU leaked those top three names, you know, and, the, and those names uh, – Maybe Matt Campbell from Iowa State was on that list. Okay. Okay. That I read. All right. But now uh, Billy Napier's locked up at Florida. Uh, Mel Tucker's locked up at Michigan State. Lincoln Riley's gone. I, at some level, I heard Matt Campbell. He's, you know, maybe they make a run there. Maybe yeah. they make a run at Lane. Lane's name was always uh, in that in that job speculation. You know, we know that uh, Lane has a contract offer to stay at Ole Miss. You know, I'm told that the sides are quote close, but what does that mean? You know, yeah. I mean, is if if the contract is unsigned, and I've not heard that it is signed right now. I've just heard that they're that they're close. Yeah. Um, you know, m- maybe they uh, make a run at Lane. I I don't know, but I mean, the ability for Scott Woodward to make a big splashy hire, uh, the the options are becoming fewer. Uh, mm-hmm. So it, it was really, uh, really uh, interesting to see Lincoln Riley, who I believe maybe they thought they had uh, uh-huh. with all of the, the buzz coming out of that, uh, go off to uh, the Pac-12 for a lot of the reasons that uh, you stated that I think, uh, you know, I, I think the playoff and uh, just the, the path to get there. Yeah, I, I think all that's attractive. One more question, man. I I was able to – I love a Thursday Egg Bowl. Love it. Because okay. Saturday, I can sit back and uh, my game's finished and I can watch everybody else. So I'm watching uh, – as I watch the Alabama-Auburn game, I'm thinking, okay, we got all these two-point conversions in the overtime. You know, what end zone are they in? I want to know if all these sports riders in that in that uh, terrible press box, you know, do they get I to thought see the it? same thing. Do they get to see it or not get to see it? Okay, so I was thinking that. But uh, real quick here, what what I saw uh, in the Michigan-Ohio State game was they kept flashing that graphic 
that Jim Harbaugh, before they won Saturday, before Michigan won, was 0-5 against Ohio State. 0-5 against Ohio State. So does uh, a Mississippi coach uh, who is 0-5 in the Egg Bowl, uh, does he come back around for a sixth game? What do you think? (laughs) It's hard to imagine that. I mean, it's hard to – it's really hard to wrap my head around that being a reality because the, you know, is it different? I understand the Michigan Ohio state rivalry thing. I mean, I totally get what a big deal it is and they don't care that there's a state border there. You know, it's two different States. There's not one here between, you know, the bulldogs and the rebels. Uh, they're, they're in the same state, a few miles, 90 miles apart, whatever it were. It's just I I can't imagine there being a coach going 0-5 in this rivalry and getting to stick around. Um, now, that doesn't mean I wouldn't argue that it would be the right thing to do in some scenarios. <laughs> you know, what other games are you winning and what other games are you losing? Yeah, that's something else. You know, Matt, I don't think this game – in and of itself, hires and fires coaches by itself. But mm-hmm. if you've if you've gone, chances are, if you've gone zero and five in the series, you probably are losing some other games, and there are some other factors involved in a many layered process that goes into hiring and firing a coach. Sure, that's just just my theory. But I think if, if you're going 10 and one every year uh, and the only game uh, you lose is, is to the rival, I think you get to hang around. I, you know, I was thinking that right there as you were talking, that whole 10 and one thing. And I go back to, again, expanded playoff. You know, um, that thing expands to 12, which we can talk another day about whether they ought to stop at 12 or just keep, you know, why are we doing just 12? But anyway, let's say, you know, it's going to expand. And when it does, let's say you do have a program or a coach at one or the other that you're nine, 10 wins every year. Let's say you get it to that point or every other year, you know, it does this a little bit. And in those years where you're sitting there, you go in with 10 wins already. Could that be possible to have 10 going into the battle for the gold next? Sure it is. Well, if you're in a 12 team playoff, guess what? You're in a playoff, whether you win, lose that game or not. And you know it going in. And let's say my, Senior quarterback, Will Rogers, who's been around for five years and he's already thrown for 5,000 yards and his ankle is swollen up like a softball that particular week. Am I going to run him out there to play that game and I know I'm already in the playoff? No, I'm not. So, and then you lose the game. So there are these, sure, there are exceptions to that rule. But look, playoff or not, the other side of that is, if you're talking about six and seven win teams, for the most part, then you lose that game five in a row, they'll give somebody else a shot, I think. Folks, that'll wrap us up for this edition of Justify Your Existence. For Matt White, I'm Parrish Alford. Thanks for being with us.